Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. How many of you guys ever have dandelions in your yard? Now, I know that there's some people who, like, I don't know, for me, I was like, when dandelions pop up, I think it's kind of sweet. It's like, oh, it's that time of year, and aren't they pretty? And then there's some people who are like, oh my gosh, dandelions, I need to literally just get a flamethrower and destroy my yard. I can't take it. But dandelions are really, are, I just think they're super cool because, like, one pops up, right? And then it, it's, it's yellow and beautiful, and then it turns into the, you know, the wispy little white puff, and then the, the little, like, it sends out its little seeds into the air, and everywhere a seed lands, another dandelion pops up. I don't know, there's something romantic and pretty about that. And the thing about dandelions is this, is that they define your yard, right? Because if, if you don't like dandelions, you have that neighbor, and you're like, oh, that's the dandelion guy. Oh, that guy. You'll see him at Christmas, right? And it's snow on the ground, and he'll drive past you, and you're like, oh, dandelion guy. You know, that's that guy. Because dandelions have a way, when they take over a yard, I mean, they just define it. Your yard is yellow, okay? It, it just, they have a way of just completely redefining everything about your yard. And the thing about church and the church and when I'm talking about church, I'm not talking about the corporate organization. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a name. I'm talking about the people, the people who make up a body of believers who are gathered together and connected, the church. The church has certain things that define us as well. Individually, as followers of Jesus, in this church body and in all church bodies, there are these things that kind of define us in the exact same way that dandelions can kind of creep in and define a yard. And there's a handful of things, and I might even call them attitudes or, or kind of systems of belief as it relates to how they are connected to their city, to the place they live that define churches in a lot of ways. And some of these may be familiar to you. Maybe you've been part of churches that are like this. Maybe you're not a church person or, or a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. And you know, I'm, first of all, I'm super glad you're here if that's you. But maybe that's not you. And you know people in your life. And the reason you don't like church is because you know people who have had attitudes that are similar to this. At least in, in attitudes that, that relate from the church and how they relate to the, their city. The people around them. The people that they live with and they work with and they go to school with. And the first kind of defining attitude for churches is, is what I would call, a, it's, it's a church that's in the city. And I think the attitude of a church that's in the city, it, it really is probably best defined by apathy. It's an attitude of apathy that defines a church that's in the city. This church, these people are located in their city. They're, I mean, they're in the, the boundary markers of their city, but, but really they... They look at their city with such apathy. I mean, they don't even really give a rip about what's going on in their city. Because ultimately, for, for this type of church, for the church that has apathy, for them it's like, as long as I got my, my nice service, as long as I got my nice coffee in the morning, and as long as I got my seat, my kids got something that they can do, I'm good. A church in the city, people who, or that's the attitude or culture that defines them. For them it's just like, whatever this can do for me is great, and anyone else, eh, I'm not really worried about and there's a lot of churches that are in the city, and this is, this is how they live, a very inward focus. They care about themselves, and they don't really give a rip about anything that's happening around them, except to the extent that it, extent that it maybe starts to affect them. There's another defining characteristic of some churches. Um, actually, jump back. Churches in the city. There's, there's some, like, there's some kind of illustration of what this looks like if you go back into Jewish history talking like Old Testament Jewish history thousands of years ago, traditionally the Jewish culture back then was kind of defined by this church in the city attitude, this kind of apathy to other people. The Jewish culture was very inward focused. 
It was all about us. It was all about our nation and our people. Any other nation, I don't give a rip. As long as we got our stuff, as long as we are good, all those other people can, you know, go jump in a lake. We don't care. Traditional Jewish culture was very much this inward focus. It's good to be just us over here. You be over there, and everything is going to be fine as long as I'm over here with my close friends and you just leave me alone. Second kind of defining characteristic of some churches, and this is, this is a church, I, I, I hope and I believe that there's less of these churches and less of these attitudes that exist in people who are in the church, but this is the church that's against the city. And the church that's against the city is, is defined by an attitude of animosity. Now, this church, they're not apathetic to their community. They're hostile to their community. Because the, the church that's against the city believes this, we are good and they are bad, that we are righteous, and they are unrighteous, that we are holy, and they are unholy, and therefore they deserve to be punished. They don't live like we do. They don't live to our standard, and therefore they're not as good as us, so they should be punished for the way they live. And there's this kind of outright hostility that exists in these churches that are, are against the city. We're right they're wrong, and they deserve to be punished. We can go back again into like Old Testament Jewish history, and we can see this attitude expressed. Anybody remember the, the story of Jonah? Yeah, Jonah was a guy who, who God directed him to go to the city of Nineveh. And God said, I want you to go to this city. It's an evil, wicked city. The people who live there are, are living terrible, horrible, eat, living evil, horrible lives. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go there, and I want you to just call them to repent. I want you to turn their hearts back to me. And Jonah's attitude was like, well, Lord, Nineveh's so evil that they should just be destroyed. They should be wiped out. They shouldn't have mercy. I shouldn't go to them and tell them that there's a way to find forgiveness and a way back to you. They just need to be wiped out. And the whole reason Jonah was swallowed by the whale in the story is that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was hostile to those people. He was against that city. He wanted those people to burn and die. That was his attitude. And there are churches and there are church people, people who are part of bodies of believers in our country and in our world who are hostile to their city and they believe that the city should just go burn because they're so evil that they should just be punished. And like Jonah, they're willing to say, God, no, uh-uh. They're, they're right. They're wrong. I'm right. I don't want any of it. So there's churches that are apathetic to their cities. There are churches that are in the city. And there's churches that are against the city. They actually hostile, they have animosity towards their city. And then the kind of the, the third one I want to talk about is a church that is of the city. Now, a church that's of the city is probably best described uh, by an attitude of, of imitation. Now, here's the thing about a church that's of the city. A church that's of the city, I mean, they, they're not apathetic towards their city. They're not, they don't have animosity towards the city. They, they like their city. A, people in the church that are of the city, they like their city. They like the city's culture. They like what it's all about. They like the people they work with. They have no problem with that. And in, and in, in fact, what they do is they kind of begin to imitate the culture of their city and kind of, kind of they look like and live like the people who live in their city. And on the surface, I mean, on the surface, that's actually really a, a good thing because we should desire to be connected and involved in our city. We should like the city that we live in as the church. As followers of Jesus, we should care about the city that we live in. But oftentimes, for a church that's of the city, in their attempts to imitate and in their attempts to be relevant to their city, what happens is, is these churches get assimilated into the culture of their city and they stop looking like a church of God. 
And what can happen to a church that's of the city is that it, it becomes, is that the culture of the city becomes a greater driving force in their lives than the culture of Jesus. And so a church that's of the city, the, the, the gravity of the culture of, of where they live, the culture of our world, the culture of, of our culture, has a greater push, a greater sway than the culture of Jesus in their lives. And, and, if, and you, we, if you slip into this bubble, you kind of find yourself living in this in-between world where it's like, uh, I know that Jesus says this, and I know that this is the way he's called me to live, but it just feels like, like I don't know, like that, maybe that's, that's kind of hateful, and maybe that's, I don't know, it just feels like it should be different, and it feels like if I do that, that they might think that I am a certain way and I'm not a certain way. And so all of a sudden, all of our hashtags become the world's hashtags instead of Jesus' hashtags because we are now defining ourselves by the culture of our city more than we are defined by the culture of Jesus. So we become a church of the city that's kind of defined by our imitation of the culture of the world we live in rather than standing out because we live for a culture of Jesus. There's a really powerful example of, of this being played out in Jewish history as well. And we talk, we're talking like a lot of kind of Old Testament, old time, thousands of years ago, you know, Jewish examples. But um, 500 years before Jesus was born, the people of Israel, the, the nation of Israel was really coming to an end. They were kind of falling apart. Everything was coming off the rails. Foreign nations had been coming in and attacking, and they had been losing, and they had been losing. And you can really find the roots of, of their demise in the fact that they kind of turned their hearts away from God. Their leadership had turned their hearts away from God. And, and the nation of Israel is just, it's coming off the rails. And 500 years before Jesus walked the earth, Babylon swept into Israel and just said, you guys are done. Wiped them out, destroyed the city, tore down the walls, tore down the temple in Jerusalem, the capital, and, and that was it. And what the Babylonians did is, is people they didn't kill, they took into slavery back to Babylon. And, and they, would, they took massive groups of people. They would take some of the best and brightest of their young people, and they would put them into slavery in high positions, maybe in the palace, and give them education. And then some of the, the people who didn't have as much value, they would just sweep into slavery. But here was their strategy. They would take people from other nations, and this was just Israel. This is what they did. They would take people from other nations they'd conquered. They would take them into Babylon, and they would try to assimilate them into Babylonian culture. And it was, it was kind of interesting. Well, was, they would kind of be nice to them. I mean, these people were slaves, but they would set them up in, in positions where they maybe had some authority. They would set them up in government positions. And they would set them up in, in the king's palace. And, and they would set them up in places where they kind of had some, some say in the culture. Here was Babylon's strategy, though. This is how the Babylonians thought. They thought this. If we can assimilate them, them into our culture, and we can wipe out the distinctives of their culture then they will become like us. And when they become like us, they will be a people that's easier to control. So Babylon's strategy in taking people from Israel and other countries to Babylon into slavery was not just to subjugate them or to abuse them or to torture them, but it was to assimilate them. And so basically Babylon did this. They took Jews from Israel and they said, we're going to bring you here and we want to we make you the Jews of Babylon. We're going to wipe out your distinctives, the things about your culture and your religion that are unique, unique, and we're going to make you the Jews of Babylon. We're going to make you a church of the city. So when you look at that kind of story, 
When you look at what happened to the people of Israel there, how they were brought into Babylon and completely assimilated, and they became a people of Babylon instead of, instead of a people of God, I think there's some lessons that we can learn. And there's things that kind of follow this story of, of what happened to the people of Israel that can speak to our lives. Because for us, as a corporate church, as Compass Church, and as individual followers of Jesus who are part of the universal body of Christ, we have to ask ourselves these questions. We have to ask this, who are we? Which one of these are we? Are we any of these things? And then what should we be? What should Compass be? Should we be a church that's merely in our city, but that we just don't let any of the city stuff mess with us? Should we be a church that's against our city, where we're calling out the sin and we're actively seeking to see bars and clubs closed down because we just think it's so evil and wrong and we want that all dealt with and we want people punished? Should we be a church that's of the city, that's so relevant that relevance becomes our priority and hashtag relevance is our hashtag instead of hashtag Jesus being the thing that defines our culture? What should we look like and what should we be? And in Jeremiah chapter 29, God kind of gives us some instruction, I think, because Jeremiah was a prophet that existed at about this time when Babylon was getting ready to come in, and God spoke to Jeremiah to prepare the people of Israel for what they were going to face. And Jeremiah wrote down these thoughts that God said, God warned them. He said, this is going to happen. He said, you are going to be taken into Babylon. You are going to be in exile. Israel will be gone. And for 70 years, you will be enslaved. For an entire generation, you will be enslaved in Babylon. You will be gone from your nation. Your nation will not exist. And you will be exiled. But God told Jeremiah this. He said, he said but I've got a plan for you. And this is what he told Jeremiah in, in Jeremiah chapter 29. And I think this speaks a lot to us about the church that God has called us to be because God tells the people of Israel how he wants them to live, how he wants them to act while they are in exile in Babylon. And this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives that he has exiled to Babylon for Jerusalem. This is my message to those of you who are living in a city that when you look around, it doesn't reflect your culture, it doesn't reflect your values. It's not a city of God. He says this, I want you to build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children and then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. Now, okay, if I'm a person who's going into slavery in a foreign nation and my, my country has been destroyed and God gives a message of hope and encouragement, this is what I want that message of hope to be. Hold on, a week from now I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to wipe these fools out and you're going to come back and I'm going to give you a lot of money for it too, okay? It's going to be great. Here's the message I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear this. You know what? You're stuck there. So you might as well get married, you might as well have kids, and I tell you what, just to be safe, you might as well just prepare to have grandkids too, okay, because this thing is happening and it's going to be a long time. That is not the message I want to hear from God, and yet that's exactly the message that Jeremiah is communicating to the people of Israel. Now again, remember, Babylon's strategy was to wipe out the cultural distinctives of a people so that, so that they became people of Babylon, so that the people of Israel would become, would become the Jews of Babylon. Not the followers of God, but, but Jews of Babylon. And God says this, I have a different strategy and I have a different plan for you. Here's what I want you to do. Instead of going into your slavery and being assimilated, I want you to do this. I want you to multiply. I want you to put down roots, firm roots in this new, this new place that you are at. And I want you to marry. 
I want you to have children. I want you to have grandchildren. I want you to multiply. It's interesting, that word multiply, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, we feel like God's vision for us is to become a multiplying church, a church that multiplies disciples, multiplies followers of Jesus, that's multiplying churches, planting churches like we planted Nexus last year. And God's looking at the people of Israel and says, your strategy, your plan, what I want you to do is I want you to multiply. He sent them into a pagan city, the city of Babylon, and he told them to increase while they lived there. And with those words, God wiped out the idea that they should allow themselves to be assimilated into the culture of Babylon. And for us, wipes out the idea that being assimilated into the culture of the world we live in should be the strategy that we live by as well. Because God's heart for us, as his people, as his church, is to multiply, to expand. Now, I know that like, that's what's interesting about that command to multiply is that we, just, we multiply what we are, right? Okay, so... Like, whatever we believe, whatever our values are, that's what's going to multiply. So this is not necessarily just a good thing. If we're a church that's against our city and we multiply, we will multiply an attitude that's against our city. If we're a church that's just in our city, we will multiply that attitude. We'll multiply apathy. If we're a church of the city, we will multiply imitation. So this, this multiply is really just kind of what we should do. But then Jeremiah continues to speak to who we should be. While we're doing it. And Jeremiah continues with God speaking through him to talk about what should our attitude be to the city that we live in? What should our attitude as the church, our attitude as followers of Jesus be to our community, to the people around us, to the culture of the world that we live in? This is what he says. He continues on. He says, And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Pray for the city that you were taken into slavery. Pray for the city that owns you. Pray for the city that took you from your home, that took you from your family, that separated you, that, that for many of them changed their names from Jewish names and gave them Babylonian names in just a further attempt to wipe out their culture. They couldn't even call themselves by their Jewish names. They had to follow Babylonian names. And God says, I want you to pray for the city where you've been sent in, into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Why? Because the welfare of the city that you are in will determine your welfare. The welfare of your community will determine your welfare. And with that, God wipes out the idea that we should be a church in the city and have apathy towards our community. Why? Because the welfare of our community determines our welfare. He wipes out the idea that it's okay for the church to be hostile to the, to the community that we live in or to the people that we live with who don't share our spiritual values, who don't follow Jesus, that the idea that we could be hostile towards them in any way, God wipes that out. And God says, no, no, no. He says, their welfare will determine your welfare. And this is what's interesting to me. God didn't say he wanted them to escape from captivity, which is what you would expect, right? That you're our God, you care for us, we're your people, you take care of us. You got taken into slavery, we're in captivity. I expect you to say, I want you to run away. I want you to escape. And God says, no, I've got a different plan for you. Where you're at, I want you to put down roots. I want you to have children. I want you to marry. I want you to multiply. And what I want you to multiply 
is an attitude that cares for the city that you live in. An attitude that seeks the welfare and the flourishing of the people around you. And here's the bottom line. It boils it down to this. God wants us to have an attitude that is for other people. Here's our point. God wants us to be a church that is for our city. God wants us to be a church that's for our neighbors. That's for the people we work with. That's for the people we go to school with. And here's, there's no like, there's no clarifications there about like, we should only be four people up to a certain point. We should only be four people until, well, they're kind of at this sin level, or they're kind of at this, this kind of spot where I just can't deal with them anymore, and I'm kind of done. I was for them up to here, but I can't be for them anymore. God says, no. He says, their welfare determines your welfare. We are called to be a church that is for our city, that's impacting our city, that's making a difference in our city. Not a church that, that lives within the four walls of our services or the four walls of our friend groups or the four walls of our little inward-focused circle. That was never his plan for us. Not, and I'm not even, this is crazy, right? Jeremiah is hundreds of years before Jesus. This is not just Jesus' heart for the, the New Testament church that came after him. This is an ancient heart of God that existed from the very beginning, that his people, that his children, that his families put the priority on other people and their welfare first. In the 1850s, there was a church in London called the, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And Charles Spurgeon, um, you may have heard of him as a very famous preacher back then, he was the pastor of this church. Now, in the 1850s, London was changing the Industrial Revolution had happened, and, and London was becoming an industrial, industrialized city. And as a result, the job opportunities and the money was all moving into the urban areas. And so at that time in London, people who made their money on farms, the, the opportunities weren't as great for them. And so people who live in rural, rural areas were moving into the city in vast numbers to, to be part of the Industrial Re Revolution and to make money and to find work. And inevitably, as a result of that, as people kind of crushed into the city and were looking for work, the amount of poor people, the amount of people who were in poverty, the amount of widows and orphans, children had no one to care for them, that those things just started to skyrocket as people pressed into the city. And inevitably, there were those who, you know, who, who fled the city as all of this stuff was kind of crushing in, and, and there were churches that fled the city, and, you know, to, to find places that were safer and more comfortable for them, and and the Metropolitan Church in London, they had to make a decision. And they had to ask themselves, what kind of church are we going to be? Who are we going to be in all this? Will we be a church that's in our city? That's content to have our nice little services and our choir come and sing and, and we'll just be fine and whatever happens outside those doors just happens outside the doors and we don't need to worry about it? Will we be a church that is against our city? And look at this as God's judgment and, and, and reject the poor and the needy as sinners whose own, whose own sin and unholiness has led them to this punishment that God's visited on them. Will we become a church that is of the city, that adopts the attitudes of the people in the city? And as they looked at the poor, they looked with an attitude of disgust. And they, you know, put their noses up at the people who are poor and hurting and broken? Will we be a church of the city and view the poor like them and, and carry on the culture and the prevailing attitudes of our city? And they decided that they were going to do none of those things. They decided that they were going to be a church for their city. 
And let me tell you some of the things that the Metropolitan Tabernacle did in London in the 1850s when they decided to be a church for their city. They built over a dozen low-income housing residences so that, there, so that people who were poor in poverty, who didn't have work, who didn't have jobs, could have a place to live until they could get on their feet. They built over a dozen homes for people like that. They built 17 fully funded homes for the elderly. 17 homes where, where people who were older, people who were dying, could come and live with no expenses. And they could live out the rest of their lives. So they could, you know, go into hospice care in these places. And they could die and be cared for with dignity. 17 houses fully funded for that. They built an orphanage. They built an orphanage that housed, clothed, and educated with a school 400 orphans at a time. 400 orphans at a time in a city where orphans and children were completely disposable. This church that said they were going to be for their city bucked the culture of their community, bucked the culture of their city and said, we're going to be the culture of Jesus. And here's the thing, this was, this was just the church. This was people just like you, just like me. There's nothing special about these people that made them stand out in any way different than you or me in any way. And yet these people changed the face of the city. And as they did, as, as, they, as they began being for their city, they started to have influence first among poor people. Their reputation spread. And then as their, as their influence among the poor began to spread, they began to have influence among the, the middle and the upper class as well in London. And their influence began to spread into the chambers of government until the, until the influence that the Metropolitan Tabernacle had in the city of London because of what they did to serve their city, what they did to be for their city, what they did to reach people who were hurting and broken with the gospel, with the love of Jesus, had spread so much that it was said, this was said of them in the city of London. It was said that if the, if the tabernacle had, had ever left the city of London, that the city of London would go into mourning at the absence of this church. Could you imagine what it would look like if the, the community of Bloomington Normal, if they had to say to themselves that if Compass Church ever ceased to be, that this entire city would go into mourning because they were a church that was for our city. They were a church that loved. They were a church that cared. They were a church that served, that went beyond themselves to make a difference. What would it be like if we were a church that was so for our city that if, if we went away that the city would grieve and mourn our absence? And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that church. I want to be part of that body of Christ. I want to be a part of that. One where, where the people of the church don't just huddle together content to, be, to have our services and content to have our own little small group and call it good. And as long as I can consume and consume and consume all the things that I want to consume to have a happy life, I'm good. And not one where we can sit on our high horse, on our throne of judgment, and look down on people who are not as good as us because they haven't had the spiritual opportunities that we, we have, and look at them as evil and deserving of judgment. But a church that says, I'm for you. A people of the church that say, I'm for you. Not just compass. But, but Leslie says, I'm for you. Ryan says, I'm for you. Jeff, as a part of the church, says, I am for you. One-on-one, -on -one individually. 
I don't know that Compass will ever be a church that builds orphanages or that builds homes for, for people who are poor and needy or elderly. But I believe this. I believe that the people of Compass Church can do all of those things. And I believe that as God plants his dreams in our hearts, in your heart, that he will move in a powerful and transformative way in our community when we become a church that's for our community. I mean, we're, we're looking at a brand new building right now. And I'll be totally honest, like a new building, if we make this thing happen, if we can make this thing work, if God opens this door and makes it fully, makes this thing reality for us, it will make some things easier. But if our goal is to make things easier, we have completely missed the mark. This building, once we get it, it's nothing but a resource. It's nothing but a launch pad, right? Because we are said, we're sent to go and make disciples. We're not sent to find a building and then huddle into it and invite them to come. We're sent into our community. This building is gonna be a resource, it's gonna be a tool, but it's not gonna change our values, it's not gonna change our culture. It just becomes a launch pad from which we go into our community and make disciples, from which we go into our community and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. This is the church that God has called us to be. These are the people that God has called us to be. This is the person that God has called you to be. He's called you to be. And this is what's so amazing about this, right? Like, God has a dream and a vision for your life. And maybe he's planted it in your heart right now. Maybe you can even identify it where exactly where you're at. God's dream for you was never to say, I'm, I need to take this to Chris so that he can figure out how Compass can do this thing. That's not how it works. You are the church. You. And we will do incredible things as a corporate entity of Compass Church. But my dream in this community is that someday that we sprout up like dandelions all over Bloomington Normal. And that one pops and it puts down roots and it, and it sends its seeds into the air and it multiplies and more grow and more grow. And, and as, as people in our community look out and they see these things popping up, they don't even know where they're coming from. I don't give a rip if anything is attributed to Compass Church as long as it's attributed to the Church of Christ. You and your community. And my dream for our community is this, is that we become such a church for our city that any other Jesus-preaching, Bible-believing church in our community becomes so for our community that when people look at Bloomington Normal, all they see are the dandelions. And our community is defined by yellow. By the people of Jesus who said we are for our city. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word and I thank you, Lord, for what you are speaking to us today and the challenge that you are giving us to impact our community and to make a difference. Father, we know that it's a big task, but we believe and we know, Jesus, that you have called us to it. And we know that where you've called us, that you will resource us, God. And my prayer is this, that you'd reveal your heart to us, reveal your will to us, God, and show us how we can be a church that is for our city, a church that can impact our community in incredible ways. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.